Hey there, everybody. Here we are again, representing XP Gains. My name is McThane, here with my stalwart co-host... Mr. Silverstrike. I'm back, baby. Oh, yeah. And this time, we're continuing our mini-series talking about what we love, what we hate, about all of our favorite genres that we play so much and we invest so much time in. Uh, with this particular episode, we're going to be talking about RTS games. Uh, we originally had lumped together RTS and uh, shooter games because we have some interesting crossovers and some cool stuff to talk about there. But unfortunately, we got so into it that uh, these are going to have to be separated into their own episodes. So for now, enjoy our episode about RTS. Is there anything I've forgotten, Mr. Silverstrike? No, I think that's everything. Enjoy the episode, everybody. Have a good time, guys. Okay, so which topic do you want to tackle first? Do you want to tackle the RTS or the shooters? I think it's fair if you kick off this time. I've got the most entries in the RTS bucket, basically, because mm -hmm. the earliest games that I played or the, the games that I remember playing when I was very young were all RTSs. Yeah, same for me. So let's start there. Um, all right, so what do you have in your... RTS bucket, as you describe it. I've got a lot of stuff in my RTS bucket. <laughs> the um, I think the the biggest game back then was probably Age of Empires. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember that. The first Age of Empires was like the first game I ever played, ever. Um, such a great game. Still holds up today. Um, they made a remake a while ago, but they only put it on the... Uh, Microsoft Store, so nobody is interested in playing it at all. So <laughs> Of course, yeah. Good job, Microsoft. Um, <laughs> you've done it again, Microsoft. You've done it again. And there's going to be a fourth one, too? So yeah, the first two Age of Empires games, I played a lot. And then Ensemble Studios, who made Age of Empires, made Age of Mythology. And then I played a lot of that. So sorry, how do you feel about Age of Empires 3? just before we move on too much. Yeah, well, Age of Empires 3 was released after Age of Mythology, and I couldn't give two shits about Age of Empires 3. Okay, fair enough. Have you have you played it? I have played it, yes, I have played it. I did not enjoy the um, like the colonial times and the, the time period that it was set in, basically. So It kind of felt like a lot of games were going into that period of history at that time, actually, come to think of it. Because didn't we have, uh, not too long after that, we had the brief fixation of uh what's it called uh, assassin's creed and i want to think there were several other games that adopted the kind of american colonial period um time as well mm, i'm pretty sure that assassin's creed was later oh well i'm not really talking about the the native american one yeah that's a third one um, yeah that was that was much later yeah much later but yeah the first one was set in uh medieval times right with the um, the Templar and stuff. The yeah. Knights Templar. The actual Knights Templar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Because didn't it... It pretty much covered, like, several different ages, as I recall. <laughs> yeah, the first one covered from, like, the Stone Age to, like, um, the Roman... The end of the Roman era, I guess. Oh I'm God. not sure what they called it. Um, I don't think I'll ever forget clicking on the workers and the weird things they used to like oh, say. Yeah. Were they were they, was that even real language or were they just going like I don't know. It was great fun though to click on the uh, the, the priests especially. Oh gosh, yeah. Oh you you I remember man. Yeah, I, yeah, know. yeah. Man, I really wish that they would have had like a Scottish race at that point. They just would have like Yeah, that would have been funny. The sound of back bagpipes like blaring in the background. <laughs> just every time you click on anyone, there's bagpipes playing in the background. But that was a thing, right? In the in the second uh, Age of Empires, I think a bunch of English and maybe a Scottish campaign. I'm not sure. I never played the campaigns. I know there was a campaign about William Wallace. Oh right, okay, that would have been uh, interesting. I think that was the tutorial campaign or something. Or so like the first one if, that you unlocked. If you and win, I, would you would you not be hung, drawn, and quartered? <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. Um, it's like I, some kind I, of alternate I also history. remember another uh, like campaign being about Saladin. Okay. Uh, Jean Lord Salad Fingers. Yeah, Jean d'Arc was also in there. I, those are the ones that I remember. But I really loved uh, Age of Empires one and two. 
I love the first one because it was during Roman times. I still love Roman times a lot. I think it's a very interesting period of history. And then, you know, the Dark Ages and the, mm-hmm. the really cool... Um, there were a lot of cultures represented in uh, in Age of Empires 2, I remember. And I thought that was really cool. You had all okay. these different designs for all these units. Nothing looked too much the same, which, you know, there there was a lot of reused assets or the first game felt less unique than the second one at least in terms of like, I, I think design. I would agree with you yeah like although I, I was very heavily aware that a lot of the units were shared mm-hmm. yeah, yeah I remember this definitely. when I came when I came to the game and I, I felt like okay so basically there's like 10 units but you're basically choosing which ones of those units you want to have yeah it's not so much that every army has its own unique selection in the sense that Starcraft for example does yeah, I also really liked the uh, the way the tech tree was represented in the game. It was very easy to click on like the menu item that you needed. So this was for Age of Empires 2. Um, when you had the tech tree, you could actually see and you could you had to drop down for all the different um, factions. Mm-hmm. And you could very clearly see which units you could build and which technologies were unique to your specific um, choice. So that was... I mean, really cool. The fun thing is I almost always played like deathmatch with um, the entire tech tree unlocked. So I would be running around as like, I don't know. I think I, I love the British because of the longbowmen that I remember. Oh, yeah. And uh, I would have I would have like a bunch of longbowmen and then I would have like the Aztec scouts that you get. Mm-hmm. But they're usually only available on like when you play as the Aztecs, but it's it's a scout unit in, in like the town center. But if you have, of course, the entire tech tree at your disposal, you can have Aztec warriors running around while you're longbow. Alongside the British, yeah, 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 of course. So, so funny. I think my favorite was the, the horse archers, actually. I really liked those. Yeah, yeah, the horse archers were really cool. They were insane. Um, I, I remember the, the saboteurs being absolute menaces. You know, the guys running around with the crates and who would oh, self-detonate. Yeah. They were such a pain in the butt. Yeah, <laughs> dealing with those was yeah. When you saw like twenty of them walking towards your base and you didn't have your units like, yeah, yeah. nearby, you were just like, "Oh, come on!" <laughs> yeah, that was such a pain. But uh, okay, so we've we've talked a little bit about Age of Empires. What else do you have in your bucket? So yeah, after Age of Empires, it was a bunch of Age of Mythology, and I actually did like, man, I played a lot of Age of Mythology. I must have played for like two or three years straight, nothing but Age of Mythology. Yeah, I think the one thing I took away from that game was probably the uh, the Anubis warriors that used to leap at everything like fleas. Oh yeah, they were they were amazing. You just get like a whole army of those, and like nothing could touch you basically. Yeah, and whereas the original Age of Empires had a single set of units, in Age of Mythology you had the three different cultures, and then with the expansion they added the Atlanteans, which all have their unique units and stuff like that. So that was really cool, and of course, the mythological creatures. Really good stuff. I love the campaign as well of that game. So wait, would that have been that would have been after the time of StarCraft One releasing then, wouldn't it? Um, Age of Mythology. I imagine so. I actually never played the original StarCraft, so. Yeah. See, I played the original StarCraft extensively. Mm-hmm. Um, that was that was my Age of Empires. Yeah. I didn't play Age of Empires until much later, and I came to the series I think with Age of Empires Two. So I enjoyed all the variety that you were talking about before, and someone introduced me to Age of Mythology a little bit later, but mm-hmm. I definitely felt like Age of Mythology was a significantly more recent game than Age of Empires 2, yeah, yeah, and yeah. it was uh, definitely more recent than Warcraft, and then Starcraft came out, I think, somewhere in the middle of all that. So I think, yeah, Starcraft 1 probably came out before Age of Mythology. Probably I wonder... because Age of Mythology was a 3D game with 3D mm-hmm. units running around, so... Yeah, yeah. I really wonder if um, Age of Mythology was kind of influenced by StarCraft with its three unique armies rather than many, many different cultures. Yeah, I don't know. They were more similar. Kind of an interesting thought, though. Yeah, really. I think the other one, the other one that really comes to my mind when I think of RTS is uh, Command and Conquer. Yeah, yeah, and it's and it's derivatives like Red Alert Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Yeah. So I um, remember watching, um, and this was later, of course, when YouTube was around. Uh, I remember watching some of the cutscenes that you would see in the game because they were all live action. I always thought those were horrible. Like, <laughs> I thought they were really, funny. Really I, they were like over the top and stuff. Yeah, I really but, didn't like um, it though. I found it incredibly cringeworthy. I never watched. I never played uh, Command and Conquer. I bought like um, 
the Command and Conquer collection for like 15 euros or something a few years back. <laughs> never used it. On Origin, but I've never like gotten around to playing them ever. But I'm yeah. going to be honest, if you like StarCraft 2, I suspect that you will not like many things about Command and Conquer. Um, mm-hmm. There are a lot of things that, having played StarCraft 1 so extensively, I really did not like Command and Conquer when a friend introduced me to that several years later. Right. Um, I never I never played that much of Age of Mythology. I enjoyed that, but a friend was le- lending it to me, so I had to give it back. And um, as far as Age of Empires 2 went, mm-hmm. it never gave me the same feeling as StarCraft did. So I didn't spend yeah. as much time with it. Um, but at the same time, I had uh, I had plenty of opportunity to play Command & Conquer, bought it, played it with some friends, and I don't know, I just I never really got that into it. And especially because I came to the series with uh, Command & Conquer 3, I think it was. I know it was called Tiberium Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah, so... That was the introduction of the, the Skrin. End, near the end of the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. The good I think games, that was, basically. Yeah, that was the introduction of the Skrin race, mm-hmm. the weird alien things. And as far as I can see, that basically completely destroyed the balance of the game. <laughs> so yeah. um, I remember watching the World Championships for... Command and Conquer, or what, at least one of the world championships. I don't know if they have more than one. But uh, it was basically just screen versus screen every match. And it was everyone trying to most perfectly execute the same strategy of making one screen warrior and then going and wiping out your opponent's base. Because there was literally wow. no other viable strategy in the game. Oh, wow. <laughs> it was like, it was so bad. Um, but yeah, so we've talked about several things. Yeah. What do we, what do we love about RTS? We both appreciate a good RTS. Well, I really love base building. In, I know you love base uh, building, yeah. You've mentioned this before. Um, what, is, what is it about the, about base building? Like, what do you enjoy about base building? What draws you to base building? And what, what kind of base building really uh, tickles your fancy, if I might use a, <laughs> a slightly more outlandish phrase? Yeah, well, see, I, I've looked at city building games before. Uh-huh. But my problem with city building games is that they are way too slow for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And RDS is fast enough, but not too slow. Um, and not too fast either, right? So it's like the perfect speed. Um, and you have the, the feeling of starting from scratch and building a, a really cool or epic base. Mm-hmm. And then you could do it all over again. The next game basically and you could have like you could be playing on a different map you could be uh, uh-huh. especially custom maps in in some of these games can be really fun one of the one of the games i i played a lot after um i was done playing age of mythology was actually the battle for middle earth games right um, okay and those had the first game had this um fixed uh, base building system. So you would start basically with a with a, like a town center in the middle, or a citadel, or a keep, or whatever it was, and you would have six slots surrounding that keep with walls uh, surrounding your base. But inside your walls, you had like a few slots that you could basically decide what you wanted to build in there. And I thought that was such a a missed opportunity because man wouldn't it have been cool if you were able to freely build your stuff where you wanted to rather and then than they this released... like stylized system yeah so it was basically imagine a square and in the middle there's your keep and then like at the extremes of the of the square like you've got four points the four corners of the square that's where you have a circle you click on the circle and you get a a pop-up and you decide which building you want to place it almost sounds like a tower defense game where you have this like grid of squares and you can choose what goes in each square does that make yeah. sense yeah i guess it kind of yeah maybe the it interface was a is, bit like is that. the same even if the significance is not mm-hmm. yeah it was very interesting and then they released the sequel they added a bunch of races they added the dwarves they added the elves um and then you had free placement and you could just build whatever you wanted and that was amazing. Um, mm-hmm. A bunch of new cool races. And I would just play on the biggest map you could play on, get a base, 
and I would build the most epic base possible. <laughs> yeah. And defend it. And yeah, man, that game was so much fun. And I wish I could play it today because I think that game holds up. I have no doubt about that. But you cannot buy it anymore. Um, it's, a, it's a Lord of the Rings licensed game. And uh, EA's like license expired at a certain point. And they never renewed it. And they, yeah, they never renewed it or didn't, or, you know, weren't able to renew it, I guess. And you cannot buy it. So the only way to play it is if you have the DVD and no, a no DVD crack, because I don't think you can even, like, activate the game anymore because the activation servers are down. I'm not sure. Um, but I, I still have the DVD of that, like, the Battle for Middle-Earth 2. And I remember there being an expansion... And I never was able to get my hands on that. I hmm. I wish I, I, I'd been able to because, um, I mean, it didn't get that great reviews. So maybe, you know, it's, 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 it's a good thing that I never uh, played it as to, you know, not uh, destroy my image uh, or my... Uh, yeah, yeah. My, my spoil perfect, memory. Yeah, spoil yeah. memory, basically. Spoil yeah. the memory. Uh-huh. But anyway, um, that was also the first game that I played online matches against other players. Mm-hmm. So a bit of a competitive um, thing. There was this this guy from Holland, I think. Um, a guy called Skyscraper something something. And we would just team up together and we would uh, fight against uh, other players, 2v2s. Um, and this was like a total random guy encountered in a match one day. And he was like, oh, so you speak Dutch as well. Uh, let's play some games together. And we like played a, played that game for a few months, I think, for uh, <laughs> online. That's it so was, funny. It's funny. Yeah. It was like my first online experience. And it was actually quite wholesome. It was not like, you know, if you if you start playing a game as a kid today... It's not going to take more than five minutes for you to hear horrible obscenities about your mother. Back in the day, that was not the case. Um, well, at well, that, least not. That might on, have been uh, because it was mostly kids on the internet at that point. Really. Yeah, yeah, totally. But yeah, I'll never forget. I remember my first experience was this guy called Hung Goat of all the things, right? <laughs> so apparently, this is a well-endowed. Uh, I, I don't know uh, what what subspecies goats belong to but there it is mammalian something well endowed um (laughs) and uh yeah i remember going into my first multiplayer game and this guy coming up in all chat saying y'all better ally with me or you're all gonna get murdered basically (laughs) and i remember saying are you any good and he was like i'm the best (laughs) i was like right and somebody else allied with him and then i allied with the remaining person in our four-player match and we lost, but we had a good time. And uh, <laughs> we uh, we said we were going to play together again. But I, I don't think I ever found him online again. So yeah. that was kind of weird. Kind of sad. Missed opportunity. But yeah, uh, yeah. I just remember we, we finally built a carrier and a battle cruiser. And we Whoa. were going to go and we were going to win the game. And we basically flew over to the enemy base <laughs> and our stuff was gone before we could blink. <laughs> <laughs> they had this huge army and we were just like, what? <laughs> How did they get that so fast? And uh, yeah, so pretty much like StarCraft 2 today, really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when, you're, when, you're, when you're my ally, I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a two medevac marine drop with a stim timing. And I get over to the enemy base yeah. and they've got like, oh, well, I've got, uh, I've got 50 carriers and I've got, uh, got 500,000 marines. And I've got, it's like, <laughs> it's like the real life army of China is over there. <laughs> it's just like, oh my gosh, you have 200,000 marines. How is that fair? Yeah. It wasn't hacking. It was just, he's just a Korean. Yeah. Um, anyway. Uh, I don't know. Can we classify like we're classifying loot boxes as gambling? Can we classify being a Korean as hacking nowadays? Like, <laughs> is that is that too racist? Like, no. See, if you want hacking, you have to go to China because apparently a lot of people are hacking games in China. Not Russia. No, not Russia. China. Did you know that? Like, um, the majority of the cheaters in PUBG are coming from China. Yeah, but that's PUBG. Like. PUBG yeah, is I mean, basically, it's PUBG is basically like just begging to be cheated on. Well, it's that yeah. kind of game. 
it's a terrible game. <laughs> no, but it is, though. It's that kind of game. Like, you've got an open world. You've got very loose balance controls. You've got a lot of really semi-random factors about what you can scavenge, how fast you can scavenge, and so on and so forth. It's very easy for you to get blindsided and not really know if that guy was cheating or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And because it's permanent elimination, nobody gets a chance to see you kill them five or six times like in Overwatch where you get the enemy bastion who's literally aim tracking you through walls and you're like yeah man you're hacking like you're clearly (laughs) hacking but you're never going to get that chance in PUBG. Mm -hmm. so i feel like that's that's but anyway anyway we're talking about shooters now it's not time for shooters yet put the put the dog back on the leash it's not time for shooters yet we have to finish our topic first i feel like we're the literal the you know the original boom headshot meme do you remember that where it's like this guy debating with someone who plays rts and he plays shooters and he's like you gotta be like boom headshot boom and he's like jumping up and down and stuff <laughs> it's like ridiculous <laughs> like like people used to do in, in old school games where they're just like jumping constantly so that no one could hit them yeah that still happens today but uh yeah i think it's less effective now because we have things like physics and inertia and stuff like that to mm-hmm. limit the effectiveness of that but, yes uh, Anyway, so you love base building. Yeah. So what is it that you love about base building? Is it the is it the strategy of it? Is it just building a cool base? Is it It's the... just building a cool base. That's as simple as it is for me. <laughs> yeah, okay, that's fine. I can understand that. I can get behind that. So building a cool base, is there anything that you really don't like about RTSs? Anything that frustrates you and you just kind of wish, ah, I wish I had an RTS that didn't do this? Uh, that's a good question. You see, I generally don't play terrible RTSs, but... Oh, you snob. Mm, <laughs> um, I don't know. I think play, playing online and having a terrible balance is probably not very okay. enjoyable. Yeah, I'd say, I'd say that's definitely a fair one. I've got a few that are, that are more localized to the RTS genre, yeah, though, I think. Yeah, come on, man. Hit um, me with those uh, problems that you have with the genre. <laughs> Okay, so I, I really enjoy RTS games on the whole. Um, particularly, I think there are a lot of really great RTSs around right now. Mm-hmm, but yeah. um, the things that I really don't like that are, I feel are endemic to the genre are things like death spirals. You take a hit, and the way that you take that hit, the way it impacts your economy, your tech tree, whatever, the next fight is a little bit less in your favor, and the next one is a little bit less in your favor. And if you're really trying your hardest... You still can't win, but it's going to take you another 20 minutes to lose. I really don't like that. I I find that very frustrating. When when Ah, you know that unless your opponent makes a big mistake, Mm -hmm. you can't come back. Um, But but at the same time, you're still trapped in the match and you feel like, do I throw? Because then I I definitely can't win. And even if he makes a mistake, I won't be able to take advantage of it. So you kind of have to just stall and hope your opponent slips up. Um, which does happen. It does happen a lot. Um, but still, I, I don't like the death spiral. I don't like long stalemates either. Now, this is maybe more of a MOBA problem, but um, it can definitely happen. I remember when we were talking about, in our last session, we were talking about survival games and how they kind of correlated in some ways with uh, with RTSs and resource management, things like that. And I remember coming up on the topic of um, long stalemates, like games that would go on for 45 minutes or an hour or more, yeah, um, Broodlord versus Broodlord. I think in StarCraft was one yes. you brought up. Yeah, yeah, where it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah, these people can't kill each other. They can only kill each other's bases, and <laughs> it's just like this really long, very slow posturing game, essentially before someone makes a mistake, and then you know that's the um, the key to balancing, I guess. Yeah, mm-hmm. and especially if there's that moment in the match where you feel that a, a an integral part of your economy was destroyed and you know kind of like this is the point where i probably lose the game or afterwards when you're looking back at the game you were like yeah okay so that's when i lost the game i knew it i felt it there's mm-hmm. this like um a tingling in the spine you you feel when it happens and you're like oh shit it just i know that mistake just cost me yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Um, no i know i know what you mean generally speaking though um i'm the kind of guy who well, when I notice that, I either just go um, full tilt, uh, as in I throw... No, I go full ham, I should say. <laughs> I, I do a desperado move, um, or I just GG when that happens. Yeah, yeah. You'd rather have it be over, basically. Sometimes you know, though, that 
situation is still salvageable. And sometimes, you know, well, done fucked up now, so might as well yeah. GG. And sometimes you're on a team with me where I'm great on economy, but I'm terrible at spending money. And you're great at spending money, but <laughs> you're bad at economy. So we're basically like Jack Spratt could eat no fat, but his wife could eat no lean. You know, it's like, <laughs> so we end up basically being this weird, weird couple <laughs> just cruising through the game. Like, See, but that works really well when you funnel me all your resources. <laughs> yeah, it really does, though. It, it is really actually does. one of some games that way. So. Yeah, it has. It actually has. It legitimately has. It's true. Um, actually, although it's kind of funny because that leads me to the, the last thing that I don't like about uh, okay. RTS, which is team cheese. Ah, cheese is fine. Yes. I don't have a problem with cheese because in 1v1, cheese almost every time, if it's balanced properly, has the drawback that if it fails, you lose big, right? You yeah. win big or you lose big, and that's generally how cheese works. So if your opponent is ready for cheese, uh, you know, you're playing a dicey game. But when it's team cheese, do you, like, do you remember when we lost that game and that guy was literally just producing as many Marines as he could? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we lost to that because he was just constantly funneling Marines in your base yes. and we couldn't ever yeah. get any breathing room. Mm -hmm. what, like, I feel like when... It's the same problem that Overwatch had, actually, when um, your general standard quick play game had unlimited hero count. Because <laughs> yes. intrinsically what you would get is like six Torbjorn. The golden days then, of, of Overwatch, as I oh call them. Oh my gosh, yeah, geez, that was... Because basically they were balancing it the way TF2 was balanced, but it didn't work because in TF2 you didn't have the ability to fly or the ability to build hundreds of millions of turrets that would actually win you the game because you didn't have the spy class in Overwatch and so on and so forth. So, yeah, a yeah. whole bunch of problems there. But basically, I think with Team Cheese, the point is that you can double up on stupid cheesy strategies. Yes. I, w I would love to see a double cannon rush. That would be glorious. Like yeah, just, yeah. or or even more like the cannon creep, like just filling an entire map with cannons, like just as mm -hmm. much as you can. Yeah, I think that would be hilarious. But uh, anyway, so that's that's what I don't like. I don't like death spirals. I don't like long stalemates, and I don't like team cheese. Yeah, team cheese. I feel like the difference between imbalance and cheese is that if you can notice that they're trying to do the cheese, you can stop it. Whereas in balance is clearly, you know, the strat always wins. You cannot counter it, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when they do, like team cheese is actually quite common in StarCraft. And I remember- Oh, sure it is, of course. Because and, it wins you games a lot. Yeah, me and Lely were, were really having issues with that initially. Mm -hmm. And uh, really, at a certain point, it becomes uh, who cheeses the best, um, you know? Yeah, and, cheese uh, versus cheese. <laughs> You know, just like in real life, you have to actually learn how to appreciate the cheese. The and art of cheese. Everything <laughs> everything turns out fine afterwards. By so. Mr. Silverstreck. So yeah, cheese. Um Well actually wasn't that wasn't that wasn't that Sun Tzu's second book? The Art of Cheese. <laughs> it was a lot less popular though. They didn't have RTS games back then. Well, I suppose they had chess, but uh <laughs> Cheese and chess is very, very slow and very, very boring. <laughs> um, okay, so what do we what do we love about RTS? You love base building. Yeah, the um, other thing that I love a lot about uh, RTS is how it takes you through time. So you're talking about time management, pacing, things like that. No, I mean like um, the the historical aspect of uh, some RTSs or the ah okay right. Or the like, the technological progress that you make as you evolve through the game. The and I mean this in in a way in the same way as you start in the Stone Age, you end in the Imperial Age, as well as um, you've got the basic set of units, and at the end of the game, you've got really powerful, upgraded, cool units to fight with. So the the kind of evolution that your little faction undergoes as you play the game, I think, is really cool. And especially mm -hmm. so if you can actually see uh, on the units that they've changed. That's one yeah, of the things that I, I miss the most in, in StarCraft that a lot of RTSs did, is the, the visual appearance of the units would change ever so slightly. And you would be able to see at a glance, oh, the guy, he's got like that upgrade, which is super powerful. Like I remember in the Battle for Middle-Earth, 
there was an upgrade for the for the elves that was infamous because it was super powerful. That you could give the elves silver thorn arrows, and if you had that upgrade, the uh, the actual arrows would be glowing kind of blue um, when you fired them, and right. they have a bit of a knockback effect on enemy units, which was super powerful because, generally speaking, knockback is only reserved for very big units like a, you would get you would be able to get a troll as mordor and he would be like slamming around his tree branch right right or no a, an actual tree <laughs> slamming at you know other units and they would go flying but you would have that on your archers and it was super powerful so everybody was racing for that upgrade but mm -hmm. the minute the other players had that you would know because you could easily tell by looking at the units yeah, yeah. I think there's a very limited degree of that in StarCraft, and where it is implemented, it's very subtle. Yeah. I'm thinking particularly here of, like, Cyclones, when they have the... Um, I can't remember the name of it, but it's, like, the where they fire the first 12 missiles at high speed rather than the first four, mm -hmm. and they get the two little laser sight things on either side of the missile pods. Yeah, but that's more of a state and less of an upgrade, right? In the same way that if you toggle, like, the Tor's ability, it changes visually a bit. Uh, no, it's when you perform the research that oh, allows it. Yeah. yeah, it's when you perform the research. So normally it fires the first four missiles fast and mm -hmm. then continues firing missiles for a period of time. When yeah. you do the upgrade, it fires the first 12 missiles fast and then fires and There's an actual difference. Yeah, there are two little laser sights that come out on either side of the mm. um, the missile pods. And that's that's consistent. It's not just when you're using the ability either. That's interesting. Yeah, so you can't I, see. I but, did not know that. Well, exactly. It's so subtle, and it, so few units have it. You don't look for things like that. I mean, like also, I'm sure. I'm sure we will we'll have listeners who are yeah. like, "Oh, well, I, I notice that every time it comes rolling into my base." It's like, well, <laughs> yeah. okay, fine, great, you notice. But anyway, <laughs> um, so yeah, you were saying. Uh, so yeah, that's what I like a lot. Um, is is mm -hmm. the the both the the historical advancement, the the advancement of the units and stuff like that. So like the immersive kind of progression mm -hmm. type yeah. feel. Yeah, I think that's cool. Mm -hmm. Like really one cool. of the things that I really like, love about uh, RTS as well, it really it really scratches that itch that I have for complexity and technicality in a game. I really love the fact that there's so many layers to the strategy, so many layers to the tactics, and you need both. Like yeah. someone can be really really good at micro, but if you just absolutely countered their units, they're gonna lose. Generally speaking, yes. Um, so I, I really like that element that you can go for, in a sense, the high game and the low game or the short game and the long game. I really mm -hmm. like those those factors. Um, and I like the fact that when you have so many options at your disposal, the game becomes very complex very quickly. And there's a huge amount that you need to keep track of. There's a huge amount of customization if you want to think of it that way, because every game you can choose how you build your army. Of course, in the super late game, you have all the options available to you, but how you get there is up to you. Mm -hmm. And there yeah. are a huge number of pathways that you can use to get to that point, which I really like. So, also, of course, there's the the difference in game between like pure military advantage and like economic advantage, technological advantage, things like that. Um, I mean, I can remember dropping <laughs> dropping marines into somebody's base at one point. And uh, you were like, I don't think you're gonna. And then I ripped through the enemy forces, and you were like, Ah, three three marines. It's <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, yeah, they're fully upgrades upgraded. make a hell of a difference. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was a really funny moment. Jeez, I was just reminded there of a game that we should have lost, and then the enemy GG'd out as well. That was quite funny. Yeah, the thing I really that? like about competitive uh, RTS is that every game's kind of different like yeah mm -hmm. i mean I, mm -hmm. it's the same race and it's the same maps but there's always a rotation and then you know whatever your opponents do is is generally speaking different unless of course you're being cheesed 15 times in a row at which point you know you might be a little bit annoyed but well because then it, it almost is the same game yeah exactly yeah because you never get past the first five minutes mm -hmm. but yeah in the first five minutes of the game it can change immensely yeah. Um, because usually you're looking at your first like major attack, first major push coming out within that time period. So yeah, I, I think I think it's really good. It's really nice that it has that level of true variability and replayability. Yeah, in a way, the internet kind of um, destroyed that in a way because 
back in the day, it would be you and a bunch of friends playing together and maybe online on the ladder a bit. And you would get a feel for what people were doing. And then maybe you came up with a really crazy strat. And mm-hmm. then, you know, you won and somebody else noticed. And then you would be all trying that strat out. And nowadays, you can just look up build orders and stuff like that and know how to do like the most optimal builds. Um, there's, yeah. you know, the creativity aspect has, you know, decreased a bit, I think. Yeah, I think there's an element of but that. But it depends like, from game to yeah. game. Uh, from game to yeah. game, so. And from player to player. I mean, there are yeah. certain people who, you know, yeah, like you're saying, they're not very creative. You get this in MOBAs as well, um, where some people are like, I, I've had allies in, in teams, and of course, you know, MOBAs are famous for the toxic environment and all that, but even when it's at its best, you will get people who are legitimately mistaken in thinking that if they build this item on this hero, they will win. You're just like, no... <laughs> no, you won't. They've already countered that item that you're building. Yeah. They're they're ahead of you in gold. You need to play from behind now? No, no, no. If I get that item, I'll win. <laughs> you have to, like, please, oh, yeah. please don't lose us the game. <laughs> that reminds me, another aspect that I like about RTS is you can play it by yourself and there's no team that can let you down. If you, if you lose, you've let yourself down. Unless you're playing... Um, in a team, of course. Unless, of course, you're playing a team game, obviously, yes. But there's always the option to play alone, which you do not have. In... You can't see the mischievous twinkle of the devil's advocate in my eye now, oh, but I assure yes. you, it's there. <laughs> <laughs> it can be done. Yes, indeed. All right, so shall we move on? And if we have any further thoughts about RTS, we can always come back to it. Yeah, I kind of want to transition by telling you about a game from 1998 called Urban Assault. Oh boy. Okay, I've heard of this one, but I've never played it. Okay. So Urban Assault is a game uh, that was published by Microsoft uh, back in the day, and it is a bit of a hybrid. There's a bunch of RTS in there, but there's also a bunch of like vehicular combat from a first person perspective shootery type of gameplay in there so i thought okay. you know maybe we can transition into shooter by talking about this one so how does that yeah how do those two gameplay styles mesh how do those two formats come together it was really cool and i'm surprised that there's no game that has tried to replicate this kind of thing like in the meanwhile i haven't seen any game that comes close well, tell me, tell um, me about it, because there might, there might be one. I've got one yeah. on, off the top of my head that you may... Need to, may you do. need to tell me about that, and, and uh-huh. then I'll take a look at it. But So what we had, basically, in, in Urban Assault is um, there's a map. There's a bunch of maps. It's, it's a single campaign. There's no multiplayer. It's just a single-player campaign. You are basically the boss of a faction, and you have one central command unit called the host station. Mm-hmm. And it is your goal to capture all the sectors of the map. Well, the key sectors of the map. So there's like key locations on each campaign mission that you must capture and have captured them at the same time. And then a portal opens up that you have to get your host station to that portal. And then you can move on and teleport to the next location, basically. Okay, so this is kind of like... um dominion style control points you have to control the points you have to control them all the same time and then you have to get to the objective during you have to get to the objective but the interesting thing about the game is you've got basically only one or two resources there's the energy of your host station and then there's like plasma that you can use to create units and at the very start of the game you have only one unit at your disposal a tank like a a ground-to-air tank. And mm-hmm. you are introduced throughout the game progressively to different factions with different strengths and weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Um, but the cool thing is, on each map, there's what we call technology sectors. And you can capture these sectors to unlock new units and upgrades for those units. So there were many different ways you could tackle a map And because there was a world map where you would pick your campaign missions from, 
you could actually choose to do a specific mission first and then you would go to the other side of the continent and you would do that mission. So it was kind of possible to proceed you know, to a certain path and unlock a bunch of really cool units and then you could go back to an area where you had problems and unleash your new powerful units at, uh, at the enemy, which was really cool. Uh-huh. Okay. So wait, sorry. Have you played have you played the Dawn of War games? Yes. Is it anything like those where you have the world map and you choose the different territories and you move around on those? No. No, no. because okay. the the map selection is basically just which mission am I going to do next? Ah, okay. Right. But the interesting thing about this is you can command your entire army through the map and there's like a squad manager and you can like think of uh like Rome Total War. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the campaign map, you can send your armies uh, to certain locations ahead of time and you would be able to do it in a similar way to that but it was real time so your units would be moving and the cool thing was at any time in the game you could jump into a unit take it over and like pilot it yourself oh okay right so yeah. you could send like a so in the first mission your objective is to destroy a bunch of helicopters that are surrounding the enemy host station uh, and then you have to take it out. Um, but at like, in one of the corners of the map, there's a technology um, sector that you can claim to get a bit of a powerful tank or a more powerful tank specifically for uh, taking out like uh, targets with much more armor. So you could send a big squadron of units or you could pilot one tank yourself and drive all the way with like one unit to that sector and just have the I'm gonna do it myself mentality and take out that tech, <laughs> tech sector, which is really cool. But if you're having trouble in, in like a certain engagement, you can actually take over and you could take over everything, right? So you can take over jets, um, helicopters, tanks. Um, like there was even just a, a unit that is basically only a scout that you could take over. And all of this is really cool because you can look around and there's like a, a HUD for each uh, different unit. And you would just take these units over and fly them. And then, of course, when you're, the drone you're piloting dies, you just jump into the, the next unit that's in the squad. <laughs> and you can just keep like pummeling these guys. You don't have to care about your army getting decimated because there's always another drone you can jump right into. Mm-hmm. And as so you, do you do you provide some advantage to the unit while you're piloting it? Yes, your shields and your HP increases for that unit and your your damage output is also increased. But only ah, for that okay. single unit, right? So So it becomes a hero unit basically. Yeah, but the the boost isn't that big. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure like what the actual mathematical values are, but um sure. you cannot But it was send a, it was a, a straight up unit. advantage in every sense though. Yeah, because you are controlling the unit and it's not a dumb AI. Uh, doing stuff so Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and at the end of the game you would also have structures you could warp in basically um like the power stations that you would need to find at the start of the game you can build at the end of the game and there were a bunch of really fun twists as you proceed through the game because one of the factions at the near the end of the game, like the the last twenty percent or so, that is introduced, is a faction that you cannot see on your map. Right. Okay. So all the units are cloaked essentially from your radars. So generally speaking, if you know for the first eighty percent of the game, you can orchestrate your entire operation if you want to, just by looking at the minimap and sending out your squads. But when you meet the black sect, which is what they are you find out that they are, they are actually a faction who've stolen units from all the different factions, but now they're all cloaked. And they also took your host station, uh, an improved version of that host station, and they took a prototype. And it's really powerful. So you have to be very careful when these guys are around because they have the advantage of having a ton of different units. I kind of wonder if uh, Destiny 2 stole the idea of the Taken from this, actually. It sounds pretty much the same. Yeah, that was really, really cool. And there was like the, a, a really nice variety of, um, of factions as well. So there were like um, the, the weird, um, like ge- geometric shaped aliens with their vehicles. And their vehicles were like 
mathematical shapes basically so like there were like squares flying around and triangles and we have that they would have these very powerful beam attacks mm -hmm. and then you had the like communist styled gorkovs who would have like a red star as their their icon and they would have like pla like very powerful plasma units that they would use against you so they were like technologically more advanced than your faction and they would scream uh you know random powerful. curses in russian at you and <laughs> well no there like was that. no vo there was no voiceover in that game surprisingly ah, what a shame what a shame yeah. missed opportunities there was like um <laughs> a, a monastic cult with a flying fortress in the sky and these like world war ii type or like era units like imagine like one of the first um biplanes um barely being held in the sky and you know those would be the kind of units or like those old world war ii tanks um with a lot of armor so you they're like very tough to get through um this sounds like a really wild game like just it sounds I, like it's just all over the place yeah i really love that game man it's amazing i i wish i could play it today but the thing is it, it it doesn't run anymore. Like it ran from like Windows ninety five up to I think I got it working on Windows Vista one day, um, but I was having problems a few years back. I wanted to try it again, but I mean it it just doesn't hold up visually anymore because you can like look <laughs> mm -hmm. there's there's like a fog of war, um, like ten or twenty meters from you, <laughs> and oh, wow. uh, yeah. But man, it was such a great game with all these different factions and stuff. Really, really. And oh, there were also these very fun um, like videos that would introduce the enemies to you. So Oh, that's cool. That yeah. was really cool. Um, so but yeah, lots of strategy involved, uh, but really cool because you could also just take over the units. So Yeah, that's interesting. Um, it's especially interesting because it's something of a, like a, a design counterpoint to the transitory example that I had, which is natural selection and natural selection too. Yeah. If you're aware of that. Mm -hmm. So yes, that's, that's kind of a, a very different take where instead of being by default, the commander of an RTS army, you are by default in a first person perspective, controlling a single <clears throat> unit on yeah. a battlefield, but then you can take up a command role and end up with a, a typical RTS style top-down view and you end up building the base for your team and so mm -hmm. on and so forth. So yeah. what made that really cool was that it was a, a team-based shooter in which one player w of each team was that team's commander mm -hmm. and would build up their base, advance their technology, handle all the resources and so on and so forth. And so obviously there was incredible pressure on this one individual yeah, to yeah. perform for their whole team. But at the same time, they could do a really good job but if they didn't mesh well with their team, or of course, if their team just did not do well on their own, you would still end up having a very rough game. So mm -hmm. I, I always felt that was a really fun one. I really enjoyed playing Commander in that game. And even though I wasn't the best RTS player, mm -hmm. um, I was really good with communication. And I, I had a lot of people who would basically be able to tell me where the units or the, the buildings were that they wanted. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as I found them in the menu, I'd be able to drop them where they wanted and stuff like that. So I was kind of a, a janitor for the team, basically, <laughs> more, more than anything. But uh, they call That's me commander, funny. but but yeah. really, I'm, I'm just cleaning up. But the thing <laughs> is, we, we won a lot of games that way because when, when the commander is serving the team, the team gets what the team needs. Yes, if if yeah. that makes sense. So you'd have you'd have a really veteran player who was far better at shooting than they were at commanding, and they would just say, "Okay, we need shotguns researched, and we need it as soon as possible." So I'd say, "Okay, I'll get on that." All right, can we put an armory in this room so that we can defend it better? Yep, sure, no problem. You mm -hmm. know, and yeah. we would just go forward like that, and and the enemy was far less coordinated between the commander and the team, so you could still win. It was uh, a really neat idea. Um, I, I have thought since then, though, that it, I think it would have been better if the teams, instead of like one commander and then a potentially infinite number of units, unit players, if you want to call them that, mm -hmm. it might have been better if you had smaller teams of maybe only five people and every person had a specific role. So one person was like some kind of a scout, one person was some kind of an engineer, and so on and so forth. Um, maybe more in the style, I, man, I don't want to say this because it's going to sound really bad, but maybe evolve, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah, the yeah. way, the way in evolve, you had fixed team roles. I didn't think that was a bad idea by itself. Um, oh gosh. Yeah. I mean, do we even talk about evolve? 
<laughs> no, let's not. <laughs> yeah, I really feel like that That was just bad on so many levels. I, anyway. I did not play the game, so I wouldn't be able to tell you. But from what I heard, um, it was not a I, not the I best it, game ever. I think I think yeah. from what I heard, it was interesting, but there were a bunch of problems with it. Uh, not the very least of which was the price, I think. I, no, Initially... Some, some... I think yeah the biggest honestly I, honestly I think that the blaming the price for that game's failings was in a lot of senses just a, a game of pin the tail on the donkey really um, mm-hmm. it was not a tremendously satisfying game to play I would not say that the balance was really there I would not really say that the gameplay mechanics were well implemented I would say that the idea was definitely cool yeah but yeah just not well put together and the maps were clearly scaled more for the monster than for the players and because the monster was a hundred times the size of the players you ended up with player characters on on one team just having to walk and walk and walk and walk and walk to follow the monster around um honestly i felt like it was really boring Mm -hmm. a lot of the time yeah um and of course there was the price (laughs) so Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah when you provide something that's niche and then you charge a lot for it it just doesn't work but mm-hmm. anyway um i kind of feel like if you'd had something like that in ns2 where obviously it you're not playing as a monster you're playing as two teams yeah that Im- that immediately makes a lot more sense in terms of balance and then if you had more fixed roles i think that probably would have solved the problem uh just for anybody who's listening if you're not aware a uh, natural selection 2 essentially stopped being viable from a business perspective and so it was actually handed over to some members of the community who to my knowledge are still curating and updating it um Mm. it does have a very passionate player base still playing it as far as i know the last time i looked into it it still did and that was uh only about a year ago so um that wasn't actually that long ago but uh yeah anyway so that's uh that's our our last transient example i guess of of an interesting idea between rts and shooter yeah i Um, wish there was something else that i could play that was similar to that but yeah i don't think it exists just wait till my just wait till my game is done man oh yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be amazing it's gonna be the best game ever (laughs) of course right right now it's in a state where i think yeah we have we have health bars we have ammo counters (laughs) we can shoot an an unending horde of enemies that just continues to spawn indefinitely yeah (laughs) i mean ship that's always fun oh yeah 60 bucks yeah i just yeah 60 bucks in fact, no, no. What I'll do is I'll sell it. Uh, I'll sell it to Bungie. Oof, um, yeah. <laughs> burn. Anyway, uh, yeah. Well, it'll still be still be a better game than Destiny Two, probably. Yeah, but, Destiny um, Two, which is a shooter. Yes, indeed. Okay, everybody. So that was our episode on RTS, talking about what we love, what we hate, all the all the cool things about the RTS genre that we love, um, our crossovers, and the interesting stuff that's gone into that, the different types of genres that we've talked about. Um, I really hope that you've enjoyed listening to this episode, and uh, I hope you'll join us again for the next part in our series very soon. Mr. Silverstrike, would you like to sign off? Yes, this is Mr. Silverstrike, and this was XP Gains. Thank you for listening, everybody. And wherever you are in the world, we both want to wish you a good morning, good afternoon, good evening, or good night. And see you next time.